So we're doing this uh, sermon series on faith, and I think this is number seven or eight, where we're talking about faith and defining what it is and, and why God requires it and so on. We're going to start out in the book of Exodus this morning. This is 3,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Jesus. There's a man named Moses, and when we meet him in Exodus chapter 3, he is 80 years old, and he still lives with his in-laws. Moses is 80 years old at this time. He is shepherding sheep and goats in the desert somewhere in what is today Saudi Arabia, possibly the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt or maybe as far down as Yemen or Oman, but he's most likely in what is now Saudi Arabia. He's herding goats and has been for 40 years, and God shows up in a fire in a burning bush. Moses sees this fire, but it's not spreading and it's not burning up the bush. He says, hey, what is that? I need to go check that out. And he gets over there and God talks to him out of the bush. And so we're going to pick up in verse 7. This is after God has called his name and told him to take his shoes off. You're standing on holy ground and all that. And then God says, I'm sending you back to Egypt to deliver my people. Exodus 3, verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, and the elders of Israel will accept your message. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? And what if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? And then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground. The Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's rod staff in his hand. That would take more faith for me to do than to go back to Egypt. God God is not getting me to pick up a snake. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go! I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. 
He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. So, there's this interaction with God where Moses continues to protest and argue with God. God, your GPS made a wrong turn. You're on the wrong side of the desert. There's a shepherd over there on the other side of the mountain that you meant to talk to. I am not your man. I am not your man, God. No, you got the wrong person. So, uh, you, I hope you know the story. Moses does go back to Egypt, and he confronts Pharaoh, and they have the plagues that strike Egypt. The Nile River turns to blood, and there's gnats and boils and hail, and uh, you know, eventually there's the night of the Passover, and then there's the Exodus where all the Israelites are set free from Egypt, and they go and pass through the Red Sea, and then they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And Moses dies at the age of 120, and Joshua takes over, and he leads them into the Promised Land. And there's the book of Joshua that tells us all about their conquest of the Canaanites and the Promised Land. And, and then Joshua dies, and we get into the book of Judges. And there's a series of uh, heroes that God raises up to deliver Israel from the oppression of their enemies. And 200 years, roughly, I'm rounding a lot, but uh, roughly 200 years after Moses, we come to this guy named Gideon, Judges chapter 6. The Israelites are living in defeat now. They're not walking in miracles and power. They're living in defeat. The Midianite uh, and other Canaanite tribes around them are oppressing them and stealing their crops and their animals. And so when we come to this story in Judges 6, it's harvest time and Gideon is having to thresh his wheat in hiding because if the Midianites see that the wheat is being harvested, they'll come and kill the people and steal it. So here we go, Judges 6. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I just, I love that. That's another example of God calling that which is not as though it were. Here's Gideon uh, hiding like a coward and uh, God shows up and calls him a mighty hero. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. You will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. And he answered, I will stay here until you return. So Gideon hurried home and he cooked a young goat. And with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, Place the meat and bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff of his hand, and fire flamed up out of the rock and consumed all that he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. Then Gideon realized it was an angel of the Lord. He cried out, O sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. 
And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And the altar remains in Ophrah to this day. And we're going to skip down a few verses. Still in Judges 6, 36, it says, Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So we've got Gideon here, and he's the youngest son of the smallest family in the smallest of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God sends an angel to him to tell him, I'm going to make you a great military leader, and you're going to lead Israel in battle against your enemies, and you're going to defeat them very easily. And Gideon is full of timidity and fear and objections, and I'm not qualified. And, and you, God, again, your, your GPS turned you wrong. You're in the wrong address. I, there's somebody else you meant to talk to. So uh, we ha- he has all these objections, and, and then he asks. He doesn't know he's talking with an angel. He thinks it's a man. And he, and he says, if you're really from God, then I, I need to give an offering to the Lord. And he said, then you're going to have to perform a sign to prove to me that you're a prophet of God. And so he presents this food, and the angel says, pour that broth in that bread. And an angel touches it, and it burns up. Soaking wet bread just burns up like that. And, he, and then the angel disappears, and he knows he's had a vision. He's seen an angel, and he falls on his face thinking he's going to die. God says, you're not going to die. Just do what I tell you to do. And, God, and so then Gideon says, well, God, if it's, I need another sign. I'm going to lay this sheep's wool out on this threshing floor and in the morning i want i want the fleece to be wet with dew and the ground around it to be dry which is physically impossible you know if there's if there's dew it's going to be dew everywhere and sure enough the next morning he gets up and he rings a whole bowl full of water the fleece is soaked and the ground is dry and then he says oh oh god uh please don't be angry with me but i just need to test you one more time uh if you would tomorrow morning if you would make all just just in case that was an anomaly uh, let's make all the ground around it soaking wet with dew and the fleece is dry, which is even more impossible than the first one. And uh, sure enough, the next morning there's no dew on the fleece. And so finally Gideon, is God, God's got him backed in a corner and he has to obey. And so he, we're not going to read the rest of Gideon's story. You can go to Judges and read it if you want. But he builds this great big army and he rallies all of Israel and God says, nope, I'm going to send you in with a really tiny army. Because I need you to know that I am the one doing this, not your own strength. And so he cuts the army down to 300 men and, and they go into battle. So the rest of the story of Gideon is all of his victory in battle, of defeating the Canaanites and the Midianites and the, the people who are oppressing Israel and so on. So you can, go and, you can go and read that. What I want to talk to you about this morning is what I'm going to call a faith crisis. And that's not a Bible word, it's just my word. Uh, that Moses and Gideon go through here when God shows up and gives them an assignment they both experience this faith crisis this heart-stopping moment where God just gave me something to do that I can't do and I don't know if you have been there and lived that out 
if you have, you know what I'm talking about, where you have a moment with God, and maybe it's in a church meeting, maybe it's just private prayer, maybe it's reading the scripture, or maybe it's circumstances come upon you where your boss or your pastor asks you to to make a move, to lead this project, to take over this ministry, I need you to volunteer here, and you're like, I'm not sure I want to do that. I don't know how that's going to turn out. when, When you first came to faith in Jesus at all, it may have been a very scary step. Some people come into the kingdom really easy, and others are like, well, I have to give up this, and I'm going to have to give up this, and, I, and they have to actually make a decision. Do I, do I want to give up my old life? And it's a faith crisis is, is what I'm calling it here. Both Moses and Gideon object to God. I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. God, leave me alone. Pick somebody else. I need supernatural confirmation before I'm going to obey you. Uh, there's all these objections and concerns. Gideon is, when, when the angel shows up and says, God is with you, Gideon's first words is, I've never seen God. I've heard a lot of stories, but that was all 200 years ago. I've never seen no miracles. So there's even the question of, why should I believe? I've never seen it. So all of this stuff, it goes on in Moses and, and Gideon. And it's a very common thing that happens with all of the heroes of faith in Scripture. It, God gives Ezekiel some really strange things to do. And a couple of them, got, Ezekiel's like, God, I'm not sure I want to do that. There's one of them, even Ezekiel says, no to God, I, I won't do that. The prophet Hosea, God tells him, I want you to marry a prostitute. And she's going to cheat on you. And all of your children are not going to be yours. And Hosea has to make a decision. Do I, am I going to marry a woman who's going to cheat on me? But God told him to because there was a prophetic purpose for that. Jonah is probably the most famous story of somebody who's in a major faith crisis. God says, go here, and he runs the other way. And God has to get his attention in a fairly major way. He's swallowed by a fish, and then he's got three days in there to do nothing but talk to God. <laughs> But he had a major faith crisis. He's like, I, I do not want to obey God. I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I do not want to do it. I'm scared to obey. Peter had a couple of faith crises. You know, when he was walking on the water and he sees the waves and he begins to sink, that's a faith crisis. Moses and Gideon have their faith crisis when God tells them to do something. But Peter... When Jesus says, walk out on the water, Peter's like, oh yeah, I got this. Woo-hoo! And he steps out on the water, and then his faith crisis comes in the middle. Some of you have been there too. You know, you've started a, a remodel project, or a landscaping project, or a new job, or basic training, and you're like, woohoo, yeah, we got this. And you get in the middle of it, and like, this is way bigger than I thought. Yeah? Some of you have obeyed God that way. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going to take this on and we're going to change the world and God is awesome. And then you get out in it and you're like, whoa, that's some mighty big waves. Peter has a faith crisis after he begins to obey, but then he has another one on the night Jesus is being crucified. He has a major faith crisis. I'm not sure I want to be identified with Jesus. I, I just, I'm not sure I'm willing to pay that cost because if I say yes right now, I'm going to lose my neck. I don't want to pay that. And so he didn't. Jesus had a major faith crisis that very same night in the garden. He was so tempted to not go to the cross that he is sweating great drops of blood. 
that's a pretty major emotional trauma going on in him. You know, I, I doubt if any of us have ever sweat blood because of the exertion of fighting the temptation to quit. Now, obviously, Jesus is completely submitted to his Father and he never disobeyed and he never sinned, but he was so tempted to say no. You, you know his words, Father, I do not want to do this. Not my will, but yours. But if there is any other way, please let me out of this. And he's in such emotional, spiritual turmoil that he's sweating great drops of blood. That's a faith crisis. Am I going to obey? Am I going to pay this cost that God is requiring of me? So Jesus, who never sinned, who never failed, who never once for a blink of an eye was out of perfect submission to God, he was always perfectly submitted, he still went through this couple hours of a bloody, literally a bloody battle with fear. So, it's not wrong that that happened to you too. It's not a failure on your part if you have to fight through fear to obey God. That's not a lack of faith. It isn't failure. It isn't sin. Because it happened even to Jesus. You notice that that all of Moses' objections, until the very last one, after six or eight of them, God finally does get upset. But he answers all of Moses' questions. And with Gideon, he never does get upset. Everything Gideon asks, God does. He just has that conversation. He lets Gideon get it all out. So he's going to let you get it all out too. You do not have to feel like your faith is not big enough or strong enough. If I, was just, if I just had more faith, it would be easier to obey or it wouldn't be so scary. Well, there's some people in Scripture that were terrified, including Jesus. But they obeyed anyway. The faith crisis is not a failure. It's not sin. It isn't weak faith. It's just us having to get a hold of our attitude and align our will in submission to God. And all of us have to do that over and over again through life. It's totally normal. It's completely acceptable. God isn't mad at you. Just don't quit there. Because you know there have been probably millions of people who have. They've been scared to obey God, so they walked away. They didn't want to give up their life. They didn't want to give up their decisions. They didn't want to give up their control or whatever. So they just never submitted to Jesus at all. Or other people who are Christians, but they get a specific instruction from Jesus. I want you to lead this ministry. I want you to take over this project. I want you to move and do this. Or I want you to sell this. I want you to give that money away. I want you, whatever. And, and probably millions of people have just said no. I can't do that. I won't. Sometimes it's not an instruction from God that scares us. Other times it's just a circumstance that comes our way and you you have a battle to face that you didn't ask for. You didn't pick the fight. 
You didn't cause it. It just came to you. But you're in a situation where if you don't trust God, if God doesn't come through, you're going to die. Sometimes it is that serious in your health. You know, or it's a, it's, you got fired from your job or laid off or whatever. You didn't ask for that. You didn't cause it. God didn't cause it. It's just you got to trust God. And you go through that faith crisis of am I going to trust God or am I going to act in fear and run away and quit? Sometimes it isn't uh, God telling us to do something and it isn't circumstances. It's just you arrive in a corner <laughs> with God where you have to step in it. And you know, if I take this next step, I am going to step in it deep. <laughs> and this is going to hurt. This is going to cost me big time if I speak up. I know what's right, and if I do it, I'm going to pay. Been there? It, maybe it's in the job. Maybe it's speaking up for morality or truth or whatever in a relationship. Um, who knows what that might be? That's a faith crisis. Am I willing to speak up and do the right thing even though I know it's really going to cost me? And a lot of people don't. They just keep their head down and shut their mouth and play coward. A lot of times people don't make it through the faith crisis. But if you do, you notice that Moses even though he had all his objections and concerns and fears and what-ifs, he still obeyed God. And Gideon, even though he had all of his needs, that things that he need, objections that he needed to voice, and questions and concerns, and he needed supernatural confirmation three times. But he finally obeyed. And God wasn't the least bit upset that Gideon wanted to talk it through. Are you with me? So when we arrive at this faith crisis, when we find ourselves in a situation where God is requiring something that we're not sure we want to do because it's scary or it's hard, or a situation just comes upon us, like a health problem or a financial problem or a job problem or a relationship problem, and you didn't ask for it, you didn't cause it, God didn't cause it, it just happens. And, and now I, I'm not sure I want to trust God or not. I'm not sure I'm going to obey. I, I don't know what to do. Or you're full of questions. Or like I said, sometimes it's you go in. You have to go in on purpose. Like I know if I speak up, I'm in big trouble. But I have to speak up. All of those things are what I'm calling a faith crisis. And in in all of them, it really is just us having to get over our flesh and realize this is following Jesus. That I will follow him no matter what it costs me, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how scary it is, I have to obey. Even when you're obeying God, there's still faith crisis. It's like, what am I accomplishing? What am I doing? Does this matter to anybody? Does it matter to God? Is, are, we, are we doing anything? So I want to say it even plainer. I want to say if you don't have doubts and fears and questions about, I mean, your relationship with God. A lot of faith teachers will tell you doubt and fear and don't, don't go there, don't, don't allow that into your life, don't speak it, don't. I'm telling you, if you don't have doubts and fears and questions, you aren't living in faith. You are doing one of two things. 
you are either living in complete comfort and laziness and not obeying God at all and you're just doing what's comfortable for you so you don't ever get scared or have problems or questions or troubles about obeying God because you're not really obeying God or you are functioning in grotesque arrogance. If when I got the call to take this job and I had to quit my job teaching in Elgin, if I had come in and, and I got the, the call from God and I got the offer from Pastor Duane and, and the elders, if I had come in and said, oh yeah, oh yeah, I got this. I am going to be an awesome pastor. I'm going to be the best preacher ever. And I'm going to travel and I'm going to write best-selling books and, and people are going to love me and we're going to have a perfect church and we're never going to have problems because I am such a stud. Oh, that's gross. That isn't faith. That is absolutely grotesque arrogance. That is not great faith. But if I come in with fear and trembling, like I am not qualified, how is this going to work out? Will people accept me? Am I going to accomplish anything successful at all? That is the proof that I am stepping forward in faith. Doubt, fear, and questions. Outright terror. When you move through it, that is real faith. Having big dreams and I'm going to accomplish this and go there and do this, that's not great faith. That's arrogance. If you ain't scared, you're not in faith. Moses and Gideon and Jesus prove it. Mostly when we deal with this fear, this faith crisis, it's fear or it's reluctance and laziness on our own part. God, I like my status quo. I like my current situation. I'm fine giving you Sunday mornings, but don't ask me to volunteer with the youth group because that's another night a week and I'm just, I'm not going to do that, God. Or don't mean to ask me to attend both services and teach one of them because, man, three hours on Sunday morning is just too much. We can't do that, God. Some of it's laziness. Uh, a lot of it is fear. A lot of it is real honesty about ourselves. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. If you can't admit that, you're not in faith either. That's also arrogance. If you think you do know what you're doing, serving God. When Moses and Gideon talk about their disqualifications, it's true. Josh and I are always trying to figure out what we're doing and how to do it and why we're even here. So it's a regular discussion with us is why we're why are we even doing this there's a lot of what ifs outcomes and questions that come up and and do you notice that um I, I Gideon is so awesome he's just so bluntly honest with God when the angel appears to him and he's down in the bottom of the wine press all right so this angel pokes his head up over the top and says hey mighty man of God I got an assignment for you and I just Gideon's first response is I ain't never seen God. Right? He's 200 years after Moses and Joshua. And there's when Moses is day, there's jaw-dropping, writing-in-the-sky kind of miracles. Glory cloud is floating them over. Water is parting. Food is following from the sky. And now in Gideon's day, 200 years later, they have the stories of all those. Gideon's like, my great-grandpa told me about those, but I ain't never seen no miracle. Why should I even believe at all, much less obey? God expects us to believe the testimonies of the past, even when we have not seen it ourselves, and to have faith and take action anyway. Gideon says, where is the Lord that our ancestors tell us about? And all these miracles that 
supposedly happened when he brought us out of Egypt. And what is he doing now? All we, have, all we do is fight for our lives. You know, there's stories of great revival in church history. Fantastic times of constant miracles. In the Azusa Street Revival and the Pentecostal Revival 100 years ago, the healing revivals in the 50s. And there's miracles that happen, but comparatively, it's every now and then. When God shows up in your life, He expects you to believe and obey, regardless of what you have seen or not. And, I love this too, Gideon brings up the Exodus when they came out of Egypt into the Promised Land. So Gideon is thinking Moses, so he's thinking the Bread Sea, he's thinking manna, he's thinking the parting of the waters, the water out of the rock, the glory cloud over that would come up and down over the tabernacle, and he's never seen any of that. And he says to the angel, I'd like to see that. That's the same as us praying for revival today. We would really, really like to see God redo what he did in the past. But notice, God, in Moses' day, God's move of, upon Israel was to bring Moses as a deliverer and to do all those mighty works. But in Gideon's day, God's move in Israel is war. Uh, Gideon, I do, I'm not calling you to do miracles. I'm calling you to fight your enemies. I'm calling you to confront my enemies. You don't get to pick what this revival looks like. Gideon wants to see the miracles that happened in the past. God says, I'm not calling you to be Moses part two. I'm calling you to be Gideon. So, he's not calling you to be the next whoever. He's calling you to be you. And we don't get to pick what this next revival looks like. God says, in that day, conflict with enemies looked like me doing the plagues in Egypt and bringing you out through the Red Sea. Today, conflict with enemies looks like you're going to lead in battle. And that is just as much my deliverance and the move of my spirit as it was 200 years ago. But it doesn't look anything at all the same. Come on. We don't get to tell God what it is that he wants to do in our lives. <laughs> what we want to see. We just obey. So I love Gideon because he's so honest with God. I ain't never seen nothing. Why should I even believe? And the angel does not get mad. God doesn't strike him with lightning. He answers his question. God is so good. He's so patient. And then... Moses and Joshua both, or I'm sorry, Moses and Gideon both, is like, I don't know if I can believe. I don't know if I want to act. Uh, I'm afraid of conflict. I don't really want to speak up, Moses says. Gideon says, I don't really want to go fight. Pick somebody else. <laughs> it's just so refreshing, is it not? <laughs> it's so helpful because this is how I feel. I don't know if it's how you feel, but it's how I feel. God, pick somebody else. This is going to hurt too bad. I don't really want to do this. I just, thanks, God. I, I don't want to do it. But when God calls you, when God puts you in a circumstance where you have to obey him or else, it's because he knows that you can do it. And he believes that you will. And even when you're hiding in cowardice, he comes and calls you a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. And he ignores your protests. He answers your questions and says, now shut up and go do it. 
our lifetime, even the oldest folks in here, our lifetime has been in America, the church has had a very cushy time. It's been very easy to be a Christian in America in our lifetimes. But I I really believe the time is coming where it's going to get very, very expensive to follow Jesus. And we're we're all going to face a faith crisis like we have not imagined yet. We're in for it. So this this faith crisis, we're all going to face it. It isn't failure. It isn't small faith. It isn't weak faith. It is totally normal. And even the people like Moses and Peter who successfully make it through one, they have to make it through the next one. Moses gets over himself at the burning bush, and he finally, uh, God gives him Aaron. Okay, fine, take Aaron with you. Now just go. And then he gets to Egypt, and he's confronting Pharaoh, and there's these fantastic victories where God proves himself over and over again. But when they get to the Red Sea, it's not just the people of Israel crying out, God brought us out here to kill us. Moses is crying out to God, God, what are you doing? Why did you lead us this way? And God says, Moses, quit whining, use your staff. Moses has another faith crisis right there at the edge of the Red Sea, and God has to chew him out. And then there's another time in the wilderness where Moses prays for God to kill him. It's so miserable leading this group of whiny, unbelieving, disobedient rebels. God, I would rather die than finish what you have given me to do. That's serious business when you're praying to die. That's a faith crisis. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. But Moses prayed for God to kill him. I cannot take this anymore. That's a serious faith crisis. So even when we successfully make it through one, there's more to come. (laughs) But I I pointed this out last week, but I want to drive this point home. It's so very important. that In the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, toward the end of the chapter, we get to the people who were beaten and stoned and persecuted and imprisoned and they didn't have enough to eat and they didn't have anything to wear and they wander about in caves. and, And Hebrews says the world was not worthy of these people. And one of the things it says that they endured besides beatings and stonings and persecutions, it says, and they were tempted. The battle of temptation is as real as any other battle. I mean the temptation to quit. The temptation to be afraid. The temptation of the bottle or the website or the anger or the fear or the depression or whatever it is that overwhelms us, fighting that battle is as real as any other faith battle there is. And when God comes and calls us and says, I want you to do this, and our heart stops and we start sweating and we say, no God, I'm not qualified, or no God, I'm not willing to pay that price. But when we obey anyway, God says, you're my hero of faith. Because Gideon is in Hebrews 11. In fact, the writer says, I don't even have time to write to you about how great Gideon's faith was. Gideon is a chicken. (laughs) Hebrews 11, it mentions Samson. Samson is a complete loser. He failed at everything God told him to do. But he's in Hebrews 11 because at the end he won. Come on, the battle of temptation to quit, to be afraid, to sin. And you think, we think of ourselves as these miserable failures and how could God ever use us or love us or even like us. If you fight it, 
if you fight it. God says, you are my heroes of faith. Don't quit. Don't give up. You have not failed. Now, the bad news is that when Moses, at the burning bush, he has this crisis of faith, and he, uh, he grabs a hold of himself, and finally God just says, come on, Moses, just go. I will be with you. You will not die. He gets a hold of himself. He aligns himself with God. He submits the will of God. He makes that decision. Okay, whatever happens, I'm all in. I'm going to obey God. Guess what? That was just the very beginning. That is, the faith crisis is not the same thing as the faith battle. He still had 40 more years of battles against Pharaoh and the people of Israel and the elements in the desert. Right? And when Gideon, finally, after three miraculous confirmations, yes, Gideon, you are talking to God. Yes, you have to do this. Yes, I have called you. When Gideon finally like, okay, I guess I have to do it. He still had to do it. The rest of his story is battle after battle after battle after battle. So the faith crisis is really just the beginning. Okay, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I make you my Lord. That's just the beginning. Or, okay, Jesus, I will take on this ministry. I will volunteer. I will serve. That's just the beginning. <laughs> okay, God, yeah, I'll be a pastor. I think that sounds like fun. Woohoo! Okay. Yeah. Okay, God, we'll move. Sure. And we'll do this thing you're calling us to do. And then you get into it and you're like, oh boy. That decision, the faith crisis decision is just the beginning. The faith battle is the battle. So, if you are in a faith crisis right now, God bless you. I know it can be terrifying. Uh, I'm not sure I want to obey. I'm not sure that I can do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why God would call me. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Do it. Just die to yourself and do it. Just kill that selfishness and align your will with God and do it. If you're not in a faith crisis right now, praise God, but you need to know it is coming. It is coming. God is going to dial your number. And He's going to assign you something too big for you to do. It will be too expensive, too big, too large. And it it will terrify you. And the terror that rises up in you and stops your heart and makes you start sweating is the sign that you are hearing from God. And it is the sign that you are in faith. And that finally you have gotten out of your microscopic little world and you have actually heard from God and you're going to do something outside yourself. It's a really, really good thing, although it is truly terrifying sometimes. I am not ready to do this, God. I'm not ready to die to that. I don't want to give that up. Say yes. Say yes. And he will be with you in the battle and you will win. And at the end of your story, you will look back and you will see that God brought you to victory every time. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your model of what real faith is. Lord, thank you that you don't condemn us when fear rises up. That you experience that even yourself. You know what it feels like to be tested and tempted to not obey. To be pulled out of the will of God. But you did not fail. 
You did not quit. You don't have any fear. You're not surprised by any circumstance that comes our way. You're not worried about the outcome because you know the end from the beginning. So, Lord, I bless each person here, Lord, who is in the midst of a faith crisis right now, a decision you're calling them to make, to serve, to volunteer, to, to quit something, to give something up, to move, to start doing something, or whatever the case may be, Lord. You know each heart. I don't. Lord, I bless each person, Lord, and I pray that you would lead them by your Spirit through this faith crisis, that you would answer every question and objection and fear in patience and in love, that you would lead us to real faith and real obedience. Lord, thank you that you are praying for us. You told Peter that when Satan came to sift him like wheat, that you would pray that his faith would not fail. Lord, there is such fantastic peace in knowing that you are praying for us, that our faith will not fail, that you are for us, that you are with us, and you will never leave, and you are not scared. You're not afraid of the future at all. So we will not be afraid. We walk with a lion who is the king of the universe, and nothing will make us afraid. We will obey in boldness, even when there's doubts and questions and unknowns. We will do the right thing. We will follow your voice. We will make the right choice, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, I bless each person here. I ask you for peace, for joy, for great faith. In Jesus' name. Amen.